What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We've got a great one today. We're talking a lot of baseball. We have a guest that we love to check in with once a season. This is the fourth fourth year, believe it or not, of us doing this. And it's actually one of the more popular episodes that we do each year. So I don't want to waste too much time. We have a lot of great baseball news uh, coming to you on this September 26th. We got 10 days left in the regular season. Uh, and by the way, if you guys like my content, you want more, I've been writing a lot over at fastball on si.com slash fan nation slash fastball writing 40 baseball stories a week. I've been doing that now for about five weeks. I just hit my 200 story and we've got a lot of great stories to discuss. So uh, today we are welcoming in a good friend of the show. Like I said, this is the fourth time that we've done this. And he's also been contributing now for the last two years to our AL West predictions, our preview. He's a lifelong Seattle Mariners fan. And gosh darn it, the Mariners are looking like they're finally going to get back into the postseason. So it's a great time to check in with him. In addition to being a big time fan, he's also made a nice name for himself as a writer, an author, a podcaster. He's covered the show Survivor for over 20 years now. He's written books about Survivor. He's got a Survivor podcast. He also has a movie podcast called Staff Picks. And he also writes about Saturday Night Live, too. So he's a jack of all trades or a Mario of all trades. And uh, we couldn't be more happy to have him on. We'll talk a little more about some of the project stuff he's working on later. Mario Lanza, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with me this morning, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for calling me a great one. I appreciate that (laughs) intro. (laughs) The great one. Hey, how about that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, as you said, I do a ton of stuff, but above all else, I am a Seattle Mariners fan. So this is more important than any other podcast I will ever do. Oh my gosh, what an honor to have you on today then. Yeah, I don't get to talk about baseball enough because most people know me as a pop culture guy or a TV guy. So, But yeah, baseball is my thing. It's it's the only thing that can really like affect my mood or like it takes over my day if there's a game on the radio. So like, yeah, this is my thing. I'm, I look forward to this every year. And I believe they used to refer to you as the Bill Simmons of the Seattle area, right? I think I referred to myself as that. I'm not sure if anybody else ever did. But yeah, I, Bill Simmons used to have a thing. He was the Boston sports guy way before he was the sports guy. He had a, a website on Digital City. And I basically wanted to do what he did. So I kind of started a website that was basically in that same gist for Seattle Mariners fans back in the, gosh, late 90s, early 2000s called uh, Schooler Fans Unite, dedicated (laughs) to my favorite ex-closer, Mike Schooler of the Mariners from the early 90s. My brother and I used to love him to make fun of this fat, portly guy with a mustache. So yeah, I tried to market myself as the Seattle sports guy many years ago, and it just never took off. So I ended up doing pop culture instead. Well, you're making a comeback now, and now you've made it onto Sports Illustrated. So how about that? There you go. Finally, 20 years later, my plan has paid off. <laughs> Just make make friends and influence the right young people. Yeah, and rip off Bill Simmons. <laughs> That's one way to do it. That, that, that'll get you. It, it works. So, Mario, I guess for those who are listening today who have not heard you on the show before, First, I want to say you wrote a fantastic piece several years ago about how the Mariners saved baseball in Seattle. And I think it's kind of fitting to 
talk a little bit about your background as a fan of this team, why the team has meant so much to you, mm-hmm. but also, and we can cut, we can come back to that piece in a second. Um, but it's the first time the Mariners have made the playoff. I mean, it's looking like <laughs> the first time the Mariners are going to make the playoffs in 21 years. And prior to that, they had a nice little run, uh, but it all started with that season in 1995. Okay, yeah. So you want my entire history of the? I, I would. So go out, go ahead, people. Sad, story time with Mario. Yeah, the sad, sordid tale of what it's like <laughs> to grow up in Seattle. So, yeah. So I grew up in Seattle. I am a lifelong Northwesterner. I don't live there anymore. I've been in Southern California for a while. But where again? There's the, oh, it's the old adage that the team that you love when you're seven is the team that you always love. So you never change. So yeah, I grew up in Seattle. And my parents bought me Junior Mariners tickets back in the early 80s. I think 81, 1980 or 81 was the first year I started going to games. I was six years old. And the Mariners used to have a thing called the Junior Mariner package where you'd get really cheap uh, seats for kids. So we get every crappy team that they could never sell tickets for. So you got to see like the Oakland A's and the Minnesota Twins and the Texas Rangers. <laughs> like th- these were teams nobody cared about in 1980 and 81. Like, a 1981 Mariners Twins game. Like, I think they would start the game. They would just ask when you could show up and then they'd start the game. Like, <laughs> it was the saddest thing ever. But, but I grew up in the kingdom and I'd always sit out in the right field bleachers. And, you know, we knew all the right fielders. And this is pre everyone knows Jay Buhner, but I knew like Al Cowens back there and Steve Henderson. So like I grew up in the kingdom and we used to go to like 40, 50 games a year, you know, at wow. 80. And these weren't season tickets. This is just buying the day of. And my dad was kind of famous for, uh, he knew Seattle real well. He knew where all the free parking was, all the places you could, you could get into the kingdom and buy a cheap seat and sneak down to the good seat. So like between my dad and me, we just grew up in the kingdom. So I was there from like 1980 or 81 and I lived through all those years. And man, I got to love Dave Niehaus. I got to love Rick Riz. Like I just, I know my Mariner history. I've been there. I was there for everything. And it's one of those things where like people say, oh, the Mariners started in 1989 with Griffey. They got relevant and they finally got exciting. And that's not really true. Really. They had Mark Langston before that. They had Alvin Davis. They had Julio Cruz. They had Tom Peshork. They had some really good players before that. And that's, that's the era that I know really well, even the pre Griffey stuff. So most of the people you will talk to will say, oh, I, I've loved the Mariners since Ichiro. I've loved the Mariners since Ken Griffey. Oh, no. I've loved the Mariners since Julio Cruz. Like, I, I know. I, I, I'm old school. I go back way before most fans. From one great Julio to the next. Exactly. Yeah. Basically the same player, Julio Cruz and Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> How much older are the Mariners than you? Uh, I'm actually older. I'm 19. I was born in 74. They were born in 77. So I'm technically three years older, but I missed their first four years because I was living across the state in Spokane. So I didn't get to see their inaugural years. But once we moved to, uh, Bellevue, Washington in 81, we were there all the time. And I love, I love two teams when I was a kid, Oakland A's and the Mariners. And that's because my favorite player was Ricky Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. So I always wore number 24 when I played, you know, the, the little white kid from Seattle, the next Ricky <laughs> Henderson, <laughs> but that, that was my thing. But yeah, but and eventually I just, I, I got into fantasy baseball. I got into rotisserie baseball and I started loving the Mariners more than the A's just because they were the home team. And I just, 
so much of my mood and my mindset over the years have been wrapped up in how well the Mariners are doing. So like, it's, it's an exciting time for me, as you might imagine. <laughs> oh, I, I can very well imagine that. <laughs> and I'm curious to know about the Mariners. Will you ever start a Seattle Mariners historians podcast? I would love to, but I feel like that well has already been milked. Because I know yeah. there's a there's a, a video on YouTube that's like the history of the Seattle Mariners, and it's pretty popular. But it's funny because that video, a lot of these videos skip over 77 through like 85. Right. They just kind of, they kind of yada yada over a lot of the fun stuff. So maybe, I don't know. It's, I don't think there'd be much of a demand for it because most people don't seem to care about the Mariners pre-Griffey. Okay. I just think I would be interested in listening to that because I, I was just thinking you are the true Mariners historian. Yeah. I mean, there's other people that can do what I do. I just, I happen to have a weird photographic memory and it's not photographic so much as it is. I just remember little details. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. And I never forget stuff. Like I remember almost every Mariners game I've ever been to. And I remember little stuff. Like I remember in 89, we were playing the Baltimore Orioles. And I remember we lost the game because somebody on the Orioles, I think it was Randy Milligan, hit a little fly ball to left. It bounced in front of our left fielder. And because of the AstroTurf, it bounced over the outfielder's head. <laughs> and I just remember we lost the game in the ninth because Greg Briley got a ball bounced over his head. And you don't see that much in many games. And I just always remember little details like that. Yeah, it's funny because I'm similar in that regard where I'll talk about, hey, mom, remember the first Cubs game I went to and they had this Moises Alou duck. It was like a mm -hmm. rubber ducky, but they made it look like Moises Alou and it was, uh, and I'll, I'll say that stuff and my parents will be like, how do you remember that stuff? Like, that's, that's creepy that you remember this with these weird things. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm creepy like that. I, uh, back in the eighties, in the early eighties, they had a big promotion for the Mariners called funny nose glasses day, I think. And <laughs> this will sound really weird to anybody not from Seattle, but old school Seattle fans will remember this, that Tom Peshork, he was one of our big stars in 1981. He did a fake commercial where he was advertising funny nose glasses, you know, the little big plastic nose with a mustache <laughs> yeah, under it. Yeah. And it was actually a commercial for a Mariner's raincoat. And they said, oh, it's not funny nose glasses night. It's Mariner's raincoat night. And he's like, Where am I to, what am I going to do with 40,000 pairs of funny nose glasses? <laughs> and it was like a big commercial at the time. This is 1982. And so the Mariners, there was so much demand for funny nose glasses. They had to do a funny nose glasses night at the Kingdom. And I always remember wow. this. My dad took me and my brother and I could not handle that mustache under the funny nose glasses. So my dad had to physically rip it off. So it was just the glasses <laughs> and the nose. I couldn't handle the mustache. And I was like crying because I didn't like that tickling on my face. <laughs> so like these are the little details that I remember. And my dad would have no idea. He had no, no memory of that. What's the weirdest giveaway of a baseball game that you've been to? Oh, gosh. I mean, the funny nose glasses, that's yeah. got to be the top one. It's got to. I remember there's one, I don't remember which player it was, where they gave away a poster of him in the kingdom, but the player had just been traded. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, good. I get a Jim Presley or something. It was great. He's on the Braves now. But I just, I do remember little things like that, but I was never really in it for the giveaway. So I don't really like the, in, in the, okay, this is, this is contrary to how more, most sports work. A giveaway night in Seattle would be you'd have a, a lot of fans. They would really draw fans. And my family would not go on giveaway night because we didn't like when the kingdom was packed. 
Oh. Yeah, it was more fun when no one was there. So we'd, we'd try to avoid the parking and the traffic if it was a giveaway night. I, I actually... I like when I like games when there are as many people there either too. I feel the same way. I went to a White Sox game last week and my buddy is a bandwagon Guardians fan. And it's funny because first of all, so my buddy Tommy Mantis, we go to this game and Tommy and I are both Valparaiso University proud alumni. And we get to the game and Valpo has partnered with the school this or with the team this year. So there are Valpo ads at the games and all that stuff. Well, we're walking around the concourse area. And by the way, we got tickets that were $25 right behind home plate, like right behind four rows up from the dugout on the, the home dugout, like the, the very beginning of the dugout closest to home plate. So amazing seats, 25 bucks. Cause the white Sox season's over. So the fans were, it was funny. All the fans there look sad, but we're walking around and we just see all these people wearing Valpo gear. And we're like, what on earth is going on? Like, we don't have that many alumni. Like, we're not that big of a school. I was like, then I started seeing that they had these this cool hat. It was like a White Sox hat with Valpo colors. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be some kind of alumni event going on. Well, it turns out it was Valparaiso alumni night, and neither of us even knew. And we just ended up in the game by chance. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the weirdest no, okay, you, I, you answered my question. The weirdest giveaway I ever saw in the Seattle Kingdom was Valpo Night. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to that one too. <laughs> yeah, I know you would. <laughs> it would have been great. It would have been two of the four thousand people in the kingdom. It would have been amazing. Uh, one of the ones that I'd probably say in terms of a giveaway, the one for me that comes to mind. It's not. It's it's a fun weird. Stephen Vogt. Do you remember him? He's oh, a yeah. catcher. Yeah. So he was a catcher on the A's and he's still hanging around. I think he's back on the A's now. Stephen Vogt is, for those who are listening who are not very familiar with him, he could be a cast member on Saturday Night Live if he was not a Major League Baseball player. This guy is so funny. He does impressions of people. He has a great uh, Chris Farley impression where he lives in a van down by the river. He does that. And he's he's hilarious. He also will he one time I think he he sings too. Like he's extremely talented. He's very funny. Well, one of the things that he just thought was funny one day was to start pretending to be an NBA referee in the clubhouse and just like making he could do an impression of what a ref would sound like. And the guys thought it was hilarious. So then he started dressing up like a referee and blowing his whistle and doing stuff in the clubhouse just to get a laugh. I mean, keep in mind, baseball, it's a long season. You spend so much time with your team and you got to do stuff to lighten up the mood and have fun. And this guy loves having fun. Well, then he went on uh, Kevin Millar and Chris Rose's. Chris Rose is no longer on the show, but intentional talk on MLB Network. And he did a whole interview dressed as an NBA ref doing his impression. Well, then the next season... The Oakland A's at the one, yeah, the one A's game I've ever been to. It was Stephen Vogt NBA referee bobblehead night. So it's Stephen <laughs> Vogt dressed like a referee, and he talks too. So if you hit the button, he blows his whistle and he says foul thirty two two shots, <laughs> stuff like that. It's great. I, I would like that one. I appreciate the uh, spirit behind that one. 
I'll see if I can find a link on eBay. I'll send it your <laughs> way. If it, if it's, I'm not, I'm not parting ways with it. It's uh, one of my precious bobbleheads that I keep behind me here in my studio in my room. But yeah, he, it's great. And I love, I love stuff like that. The A's actually, by the way, speaking of what you had said about the Mariners trading a player and then having a, a, a giveaway center around that player. Mm-hmm. We met with the A's marketing director uh, when we were out there. This was in 2015. It was a part of a class trip that we went on where we went to all of the MLB ballparks in the state of California and best best class credit I ever got. It was incredible. <laughs> Somehow it was a class. <laughs> shout out <laughs> shout out to John Bruning. Hopefully he's listening, a professor who took us out there. But anyway, what was uh, we met with this marketing director and he said he told us about how the previous year they had a Johannes Cespedes uh, bobblehead and then they traded him before the the giveaway mm-hmm. and he was talking about one of the things that's hard with the A's is obviously you have to do whatever you can to get fans to come to the game so you do a lot of these giveaway days but you don't know if these guys are going to stay on the team and I think he had said it, that the lesson they learned from that if we're going to do a giveaway for a player let's do it before the trade deadline let's do it earlier <laughs> in the season <laughs> I wonder if they ever did a Jonah Hill bobblehead for the Oakland. A's. Oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what would he say? What, what would be the, the lines for Moneyball that they would include in that bobblehead? Yeah. See, this would be the part of the interview where I wish I could quote Moneyball off the top of my head, but there's that one. What is that one meme? Uh, uh, here's this guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this is his one weakness. or this is his one yeah. discrepancy. Yeah. So it'd be something like that. His one defect is that yeah. he throws funny. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> His one defect is that he's no longer on the team. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And by the way, chance to plug it. We recorded it like a year ago. There's mm-hmm. an episode of Staff Picks <laughs> that is eventually going to come out. I will be on Mario's <laughs> movie podcast where we talk about Moneyball. Yeah. Uh, Moneyball work or uh, Staff Picks works a little differently than the Jack Vita show. And <laughs> that Jack will record an episode and do minimal edits and release it within a week. Staff within, picks ha- within like two days, really. Yeah, yeah. Staff picks has no such luxury because they're very heavily edited, and I, <laughs> I, I, I fine tune them down so they're just a perfect conversation. So I can sit on these episodes for a year or more before I finally get around to releasing them. So poor Jack's episode was released a year ago, and it's still <laughs> not out yet. And I should point out, I have seven other in the same boat, so it's not just you. Oh no, no worries. But you don't think that what we're having right now is a perfect conversation? Come on. This is a perfect conversation, but yeah, it's, I'm not in charge of editing this episode. I'm not in charge of publicizing it, adding music to it. So like I, I'm so anal retentive and picky in my staff picks episodes that they just take forever to edit. I go through it like with a fine tooth comb. Well, make sure you guys subscribe to Staff Picks. We can include that link on the webpage here so you guys uh, don't miss that episode. And perhaps we can get it on our website on si.com potentially as well. Um, So be on the lookout for that. It's going to drop at some point. But for (laughs) now, we got Mario here, thankfully. And let's get back to the Mariners. So obviously, you're the historian. You love this team. It's meant a lot to you throughout your entire life. The last 21 years, been a little tough for you, huh? <laughs> okay, I got I to gotta go on a little rant here. Please and do. I, I think I've said this the before. The floor is yours. Yeah, people always say, 
oh, the last 21 years must have been rough. It must be rough to be a Mariners fan since 2001. I'm sorry, was it easier being a Mariners fan before 2001? <laughs> like, it, it almost offends me when I hear this, oh, it's been rough since 19 or 2001. It's been rough since 1977. Like, so I, I gear a lot of these younger, the millennial and the Gen Z fans who are like, oh, it's so been so painful for 21 years. And I like kind of laugh at that. I'm like, you realize it was a big struggle before that, right? Like I, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I almost feel offended that that part of the Mariners has been forgotten. Like, don't get offended, Mario. That's not what I meant. I know. I'm just saying. I, <laughs> I, ha- I have to clarify this for yes. people. So, yeah. my grandfather died in 1994, and at the time, it was a big thing in my family. My grandfather was a Mariners fan, and everyone's like, "I can't believe he's going to die not seeing the Mariners in the playoffs." This was 1994. This was already yeah. 17 years of, of like frustration and just being the worst team ever. So, yeah, the last 21 years have sucked. It sucked before that, too. So let's not just stick 2001 as an arbitrary date. If you're a true Mariners fan going back to the beginning, 2001 was well into their history, and we still hadn't won crap. I agree with everything you said. Mm-hmm. However, any playoff drought is hard for any fan base. That's why I think... That's where I was coming from. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But the Mariners weren't like making the playoffs a lot prior to 2001. Like 2001 <laughs> was an anomaly. Like, oh, all of a sudden we're going to break the record for most wins in the season. Yeah, that, that's exactly what you think the Mariners are going to do. <laughs> but yes, to, yes, to, to, if we're dumbing it down for what most people would write about, yes, it's been rough since 2001. They have not been historically great. Yeah. So they, well, the reason why that's the top. The reason why it's talked about the most mm-hmm. is because they're the team with the longest playoff drought. Yeah. I so mean, they're also the team with the longest hasn't been in a World Series drought. How about ever? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And I mean, here in Chicago before 2015 and then they won in 2016. It's a similar story. It was funny because the Cubs have made the postseason maybe three or four times in my parents' lifetime before that. And then they got this golden era of baseball, which didn't end up delivering as a dynasty. It really felt like the Cubs were going to be back in another World Series. It didn't happen. But at the same time, they gave the fans something just by being so competitive every year for five, six years. That was really meaningful to a fan base. And I mean, it's starting to look like that could be something that the Mariners are entering into here. Yeah, we are definitely, I I think I mentioned this back in my preseason podcast. You had asked how they're going to do this year. And I said, this is not the year for the Mariners. Yeah. But this is the start of the era that will contain the year. Yeah. So like, I don't like, they don't, I don't think they're going to win the world series this year, but man, some of the moves they've been making and the players they've been locking up and some of the long-term stuff they're doing. They are going to be scary, and it it has been a while since the Mariners have been consistently scary. Like, I, I don't know if people remember, like the Mariners made the playoffs in two thousand one. They were great in two thousand two as well. They just got beat by the A's, who were better. Yeah. So it wasn't a one year wonder. We actually had a pretty good run back there in the early two thousands, and then with Felix, we actually had some pretty decent teams as well. We just never crossed over. But yeah, what's coming up in the Mariners' future here is a. It's unprecedented for this team. This is not an era we've ever seen before. And the Mariners, by the way, over the weekend, eventful weekend, perfect time to have you on. (laughs) Yeah. Just gave Luis. I'll start with the good. 
Luis Castillo, who prior to yesterday had been lights out his first nine starts. They give him a five-year extension, so they got him under contract through 2027. And there's also a clause in this contract. There's an option for 2028. If Castillo has an issue with his UCL, which is what Tommy John essentially is, is repairing the UCL if it's torn, then the Mariners get a $5 million team option on him for 2028, Mm -hmm. uh, which is nice. So that's insurance there. Uh, Castillo has been fantastic. His first appearance, or maybe it was the second game, first or second game, shuts down the Yankees, who the Yankees probably should have traded for him, and they might be better right now. They, they would be better if they trade for him instead of Frankie Montas. But they've got this now rotation of Kirby, they've got Gilbert, and they've got Robbie Ray, the reigning Cy, AL Cy Young, now with Castillo under contract for the next four years. So that, that sets the table nicely for this era that we're entering into with this team. Yeah, we have four really solid starters. I mean, if you want to include Marco Gonzalez, he's our oh, fifth. Yeah. He's, I think I read somewhere he's never had an ERA over four in his five years with the Mariners. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, so yeah, they got r- four really good starters. I personally like George Kirby. I think Kirby's going to be the best of the four. At the start of the season, I was raving about Logan Gilbert, and he made the all-star team. And they got another guy, Emerson Hancock. They got another guy, um, Bryce Miller, Bryce something. But we have a, we have guys coming up in the system that are just as good as these Gilbert and Kirby. So there's a lot to look forward to. And that pitching staff is unbelievable. I've never seen a Seattle pitching staff that good before. And what it's nice is that we don't really have much payroll right now. Like Seattle just isn't yeah. spending much money. So they have a lot of money to go and add stuff this off season and they don't have to worry one speck about pitching because their pitching is good. So they can just start loading up on hitters now. And I've been hearing to that point, Mario, I've been hearing a lot of chatter from the Chicago Cubs fans here on the North side who really want the Cubs to spend big on free agents when they're 20 games below 500 right now. Personally, I don't think that team is close to competing. They have, they're starting to load up their farm system. They do have some nice, uh, young, promising players coming up through the pipeline, mm-hmm. but it's the early stages of it. I think they're a couple years away from really being relevant again. And that's okay. It typically takes a couple years to, to reload, as the Mariners did. But a lot of fans want the Cubs to go out and sign a couple free agents, spend a lot of money. And to me, I feel like if that is your view, I think you don't understand how a rebuild works or really how baseball teams compete. Because by going out and uh, spending on a player like Trey Turner, who's going to enter into his age 30 season next year, you're going to have a, a Trey Turner in his prime for a couple years when the team's not good. And then by the time the team starts getting good, He's, he's going to be fading. He's going to be mm-hmm. losing his athleticism and his speed, which make him an exceptional player. I mean, those are two of the facets of his game. So really, you have to not only think about what you're paying for in the long term, but we've seen so many times, in addition to all this stuff, with the contracts becoming an albatross that you wear and you carry for a really long time. And it, But it also blocks the development of young players. Right now, if your team is in the tank, 
you shouldn't want your team to sign free agents. You should want to give as many opportunities to as many young players as you can. Mm -hmm. So then when you're at that stage where the Mariners are at and you're ready to turn the corner, you've identified the needs of your team. You have that payroll flexibility and you can go out and get what you need. Yeah. And this is something Jerry Depoto has said. He does a podcast in Seattle. He does. He's very transparent. And he said the same thing. You, you use free agency to supplement at yeah. the end. So, and, and again, I, I'm a big Depoto fan. I've always liked his strategy, but yeah, it's Seattle historically. You're very smart, by the way. I'm very smart or he's very smart. You are looking very smart for being a defender of his. Oh, excellent. A lot, a lot of people were out on him. I mean, not to be blunt, but a lot of people are just stupid. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Depoto, but people are so reactionary on Twitter. It's so ridiculous. Oh, yeah. like, I'm sorry. Do you have any long-term vision at all? People just don't seem to possess that anymore. But yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah. So uh, you use free agency at the end because, I mean, look at what the Angels did a couple of years ago with, uh, with Pujols. You locked oh, yeah. him up to this big deal and it never went anywhere. They've never been good since. And it, you could argue it was, it was not a bad signing, but they really didn't do anything around him. They never had a team to support that. They got, well, they spent a lot of money on him. Uh, they had CJ Wilson. They signed him. They signed Josh Hamilton and yeah, they, they really were building the team through some of these big free agent signings. Mm -hmm. And that was, it's hard to believe that was 10 years ago now, Mario. That's it's been, they had yeah. one, they had one year. Um, and we'll talk about the angels. I'm sure plenty along the way, but exactly to your point. Yes. Yeah, so that's the thing with Seattle right now. I don't think people realize that. Like coming into the season, we had such a low payroll. Like it was, it was like Oakland A's level payroll. It was so low, and then all of a sudden, now they start handing out a Julio Rodriguez contract, the Luis Castillo. They're still low. They still have yeah. a very low payroll. And Seattle, this is a, one of the dirty little secrets that I don't think people realize. Seattle is not a small market town. No, they got a lot of money. They, I think I read somewhere they have the biggest geographically they have the biggest fan base of any team because they get British Columbia, they get out to Montana, they get down in Oregon. Like geographically, they have a huge coverage area. So if they ever want to start spending, which historically they have never done, historically that they've never had a reason to do it because they've never been in the right position. Right. They could match almost anybody in spending if they want to, which I think we may see in the next couple of years. Aaron Judge. Is Aaron Judge coming to the Mariners? I mean, I've heard lots of Mariners fans saying we could get him. I don't know the reality of that. I don't know if he'd want to leave New York. I would think it's a fool's game to think you can outbid New York ever. <laughs> but Seattle has no payroll right now and an up-and-coming team. So I don't know. It's I For the first time, maybe in a long time, it's been it, it'll be an attractive destination to free agents, which is very underrated. Now, do you know where the Mariners rank in payroll in 2022? I don't off the top of my head. I assume they are still fairly down there. Do you know the answer? Yes. If you had to guess, where would you think they are? Uh, You're right. You're right, by the way. I would guess they're down in like like 22 or 23, somewhere down there. Oh, good job. They're number 21. Uh -huh. And so they're the 21st highest payroll. And by the way, because this is something, again, I feel like I have to drill this into the heads of so many people. Look at some of these teams that are in the top 10. Uh, number four, the Phillies, they're just barely clinging on to a national league wildcard spot. They're number four. They have the fourth highest payroll in the league. The Padres, they're five. They're another one where they're playing better now, but they're not, 
once they got Soto, everyone was like, oh my gosh, they're going to lift off. This is a mm-hmm. super team. No, it's not. Boston Red Sox, number six, not going to make the playoffs. Number seven, Chicago White Sox, they're not making the playoffs. And then number 10, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who are <laughs> probably like 25 games below 500, maybe 30 at this point. So it's just, that's not how he, And then conversely, Mario, number 30, Baltimore Orioles. They're going to mm-hmm. have their first winning season in five years or mm-hmm. six years. Uh, you've got a couple of these teams, though it's not. Sh- so a good example is Arizona Diamondbacks. They're not good yet in the win column, but I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be pretty good next year. Cleveland Guardians, they're twenty-seven. Tampa Bay Rays, twenty-four. Mariners, twenty-one. So it's again, people like to simplify this and say if you're not spending, you're not trying to win, and that could not be further from the truth. Yeah, I always remember the the Yankees in the nineties. This was back back in the day when they were winning all the World Series. And everyone, the reputation at the time was, oh, they're just outspending everybody. They just buy all the good players. But that wasn't necessarily true because no. most of that team was homegrown. Yeah. Now, you said the Mariners are 21st. Is that even after the Castillo and uh, Jose, or the Julio Rodriguez deals? Uh, let's see if there's a date on here, if it's been updated. I mean, this is what it has on Spot Rack right now. And I would think it probably is. So, okay, I mean, did he get a pay raise for this season? Did either of those guys get a pay raise for this season? Probably not. I don't imagine deals work that so, way. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I don't think either of them did. Um, I'm pretty sure that they did not, in fact. So this is for this season, by the way. We can okay. look at next season who's got the most committed money. It might be a little higher. They will be, but it's really not in the top 10 or anything. They only have, what, Robbie Ray, Castillo, and Julio. Those might be oh Suarez. I guess we're paying Suarez, but I don't think they did. They just don't have a lot of those big albatross contracts. Yeah. And they have George Kirby and Logan Gilbert are still on league minimum. They got Cal Raleigh on league minimum. Like they, I, I think I read somewhere that if any, if a GM could take over any team right now with the farm system they have and the payroll in the future, the Mariners would be the one that most people would say. I, I would love to have that team right now. Well, the other thing that's attractive about taking a job like Seattle's is there's less pressure. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would hate, I would truly hate to run the Cubs or the Yankees or be in one of these big markets where people have such a short temper. They don't Mm -hmm. have much patience. And there are a lot, you see that with players who don't excel in those situations. So Seattle being out there on the West Coast, Sounds pretty good to me. Another one, though, I would throw in there is Baltimore. I think Baltimore is the the one thing I don't desire is their division is going to be extremely hard. It's going to be hard to leapfrog the teams that are in front of them. And even the Red Sox, who are not having a very good year, they're they're not a terrible club. They went to the ALCS last year, so they could very easily turn it around. But they have the best farm system in baseball right now, according to MLB.com and several very exciting rookies and young players. And Mario, I think the most valuable thing, I think clubs are finally starting to realize this 20 years after Moneyball, is what is most valuable to a team? A player on that rookie contract that plays like a star. You want Mm -hmm. as many of those as you can get. I want, as, and that's the same thing. Why would you want, if you're a team that's rebuilding, why would you want to spend big money on a star to block one of those potential young players who could play like a star and be $30 million cheaper each year. 
Yeah, no, I agree. It, it just comes down to player development, really. That's the name of the yeah. game. Player development and uh, payroll flexibility. Yeah. So Mariners are in a great spot. They, however, had an interesting Sunday. <laughs> Let's start with the funny. So we had the good, the bad, and the funny. Let's go with the funny now. <laughs> uh, for those who did not see it, check it out. Uh, you can guys can look at uh, my website again, si.com slash fan nation slash fastball, or just Google SI fastball. Uh, but we had a really fun showdown yesterday. We had a pair of pitchers in a national anthem standoff. And I'm sure you saw this, Mario. Would you like to provide a little recap of what happened yesterday? I didn't see it personally, but I heard okay. about it afterwards. So is this a thing? Is this a, a thing that people do? Or is this just a one-time thing? Because what happened was there was a player on the Mariners, Robbie Ray, and there was a reliever on the Royals. And I don't remember his name, but it's Luke like, Weaver. And those yeah. two were teammates with the Diamondbacks for about a year and a half. Yeah, so they know each other. Yeah, yeah, so the players go out there and they stand there for the national anthem. And then it's like after the anthem, all the other players go back in the dugout, but one player on each side stays. <laughs> and it's like a game of chicken to see who can stand there the longest and not go back in the dugout. And it was a totally joking thing. And I like I didn't see it, but I heard about it afterwards. And they they stayed there so long, the umpires actually ejected them for delay of game. <laughs> <laughs> my first thought was this needs to be an endurance challenge on the next season of survivor <laughs> but that's my question is this a thing is this a known thing that baseball players do it is something that is kind of legendary i think it's something it's not something that happens i've never seen it before but it's something that has happened and is kind of like known. I don't know if it's something that you see in the minors or in college or in high school or little league. This would be a great question for our <laughs> baseball coach friend, Albert Destrade. I'll send him a text about it if he's ever seen it. Cause he would be the guy who probably, if it, if it, if anyone's seen it, it's probably him. He's been at so many baseball games. Um, I have never seen that in a big league game and I'm sure you have not. So it is something that it's not an unknown. This wasn't something that just kind of came out of thin air. Like these guys had this idea, like all of a sudden, although it kind of did, I mean, they had no plan of doing this. They just kind of made eye contact with each other and it became a funny who can blink first, you know, stare down competition. But yeah. So my understanding is it's something that has happened, but I personally have never seen it before. You know, what was funny about that is that that had a potential to change the game yesterday because Robbie Ray got ejected, but he was a starting pitcher and he wasn't yeah. starting. So he's whatever. But the other guy <laughs> was an active reliever the Royals could have used in the game. So like we literally sabotaged one of their players. <laughs> it's genius. <laughs> and the best part was having the players come out, their teammates were treating them like they were prized fighters in the ring of their corners. So guys are coming out, pouring water into their mouths, wiping sweat off of them with sweat <laughs> towels. Uh, I read, I didn't see it, but one of them got a massage with one of those little massage machine devices. <laughs> and then um, I remember seeing Weaver getting sunflower seeds poured into his mouth. And this thing lasted minutes on end. There's a, I mean, I don't think there's a video that exists of this whole thing in its entirety, but there is 
a four minute video and we've got it on our website. So you guys should check that out. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. I'd love to see more of this. Yeah. Unfortunately I missed it at the time. I just turned on the broadcast later and they were talking about how they got ejected and the announcers are like, that's ridiculous. Eject them over that. <laughs> because I guess, I guess they were kind of portraying it as, oh, it was antagonistic. The players didn't like each other. I'm like, no, it was a total joking thing. And the umps just said, okay, we got to get going, get them out of here. So yeah, that's exactly what it was. The guys were friends. They were having fun. The umps knew they were having fun. They were basically trolling the umps. Yeah. That's what I think. And then the umps kept saying like, you know, pace of play. We got to get this game going as soon as possible, which I understand to a degree, but the Alps kind of became a part of the story by being the ones to, you know, show them up. Okay. We're going to, we're going to toss these guys. Um, and Weaver actually said, it's in my story. He said that I thought that he, I thought I was, um, I got he because he's the one who who ended up losing. He got up and he moved towards the dugout. He said he thought he beat the ejection because he knew it was heading in that direction. And then mm -hmm. he still was ejected. So he's like, ah, dang it. Could have won if I was going to get ejected. Sounds like <laughs> something that losers say. That's what happens when you lose a uh, stare down game of chicken to the Mariners. <laughs> oh, it was great. And I, I'm sure I don't know if you've ever seen any of John Boy uh, YouTube videos. Have you seen any of those? Just once in a while. I don't really watch YouTube, but I've seen okay. a couple. He's going to do a great video on this. I'm sure it'll be a <laughs> remarkable breakdown. Part of the problem is it happened during commercial breaks. So there's a, 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 I think there's a lot of footage that we did not see, but John boy is great. And he somehow gets footage that a lot of people don't have. I'm sure there are people who are at the game who took videos on their phone. They'll send him and he'll, he'll give us a whole breakdown of what happened in this particular instance. I hope we get lots of like Burgess Meredith quotes from Rocky and stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> I got to cut you. Don't cut me, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> so then the uh, the Mariners had a, quite a day. And I wrote about this, Mario. I said that if you were a Seattle baseball fan mm -hmm. who chose to watch the Mariners game instead of the Seahawks game. I mean, well, actually, first, I should say, I think a lot of people who chose to watch this baseball game, especially if you're in Kansas City, when the Chiefs have this really good team and the Royals don't at this particular hour but can you imagine you flip that game off to go watch football thinking it's over when it's 11 to 2 and the royals end up coming back and winning 13 to 12 well see the good thing about that is you get a football score in a baseball game so everybody <laughs> wins <laughs> it's true but yeah no i was i was listening to the game on uh on on my phone and the mariners were up 11 to 2 and even the Mariners la ma announcers were laughing. They're like, well, if the Mariners hold on and win, which I'm pretty sure they will. <laughs> and I had to mute it for a while because I was talking to my son on the phone. My son's a college student. And I was muting it. I was kind of following it on game day quietly. And I'm like, hey, this game's getting much closer all of a sudden. So <laughs> I didn't get to hear all the gory details. I just watched it on game day. And then all of a sudden it was 13 to 11. I'm like, well, that went rather poorly. <laughs> <laughs> The interesting thing was that the Royals had an 11 run inning mm -hmm. and they only scored like a couple of those runs. They only hit one home run. So the rest was just putting the ball in play. And I didn't watch it live because similarly, so I have the MLB.tv and I'm just flipping around to see what games are going to be interesting. So I see Royals uh, trailing to the Mariners. First of all, 
the game was on my radar because I'd be talking to you today. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll like to watch a little Mariners. But I saw the score. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to prioritize some of these other games. Cleveland's about to win their division. And then I'm just, I look at later. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's insane. So you jinxed um, us. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. If, if you didn't watch the specific game, what happens is the Mariners scored a ton of runs in the early, in the mid innings because the Royals pitchers just couldn't find the strike zone. It was all walks and hit by pitches and wild pitches. And then the next inning, when the Mariners were pitching, it was the same thing. It was walks and wild pitches and like, so I don't know if something was up with the mound or something was up with the weather. Like nobody could find the strike zone. It was just an ugly, like there weren't a lot of big hits or great hits. It was just kind of sloppy. Yeah, but no one recorded any errors. So mm-hmm. that's the thing I'd like to know because errors are not a great indicator. They're not perfect. Of And I think they're actually becoming more liberal with the mm-hmm. usage of giving out hits. Like I was at a game where I saw the Cubs second baseman David Bodie, who doesn't normally play, and he's a bench player, but he was playing second base in this day. Three straight plays where I would have called an error, and everyone in the in, in Wrigley Field would have called an error, and the hometown scorekeeper didn't give him an error, gave the hit to the other team. Mm-hmm. So errors in general, and that's the kind of funny thing about Field of Dreams, too, by the way. This is off topic, but Kevin Costner's defense of Joe Jackson and saying he didn't, you didn't commit any errors in that World Series is, well, how many out, how many errors are an outfielder committing in a seven-game series? <laughs> yeah, he just didn't hustle and didn't get to the ball. That's a single. Yeah, and he's got to get his glove on it or make a throwing error if it's an error. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, okay, in that inning where the Royals scored 11 yesterday, there was one hard-hit ground ball to third to Ty France, who doesn't normally play third. He's not. He's normally, Suarez is usually a third, so Ty yeah. France was a third. It ate him up and went off his glove into the outfield. That could have been an error. They gave him a hit. And there was one fly ball into center that would have ended the inning, and Jared Kelnick just didn't see it because it was in the sun. And you could see him waving his hands. He had no idea where it was. It ended up dropping and being a single or double. Total Kelnick move, huh? Well, the the game before that, Jesse Winker also lost a ball in the sun. So oh. there was something in the in Kansas City in the sun that the outfielders weren't seeing it. So it, like it yeah. was not a, just a clean game at all. It was just kind of sloppy. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's goes to Brian Kenny's argument about he says we should just get rid of the error. I mean, yeah. Do you have thoughts about if we should still use error as a metric, as a statistic? Well, I'm a stats guy. I love stats. I just, I mean, one of those type of people, I just love the way baseball numbers work out. Yeah. If you get rid of errors, it changes the concept of unearned runs. Yeah. And that's very unfair to a pitcher. So just yeah. in the idea of pitcher stats, pitchers, ERAs and stuff, just because I, I know ERA is not like fashionable nowadays, but I just love numbers. I've always been a numbers guy. I think that's very unfair to pitchers to get rid of errors. I would agree with you, by the way. I'm just, I'd like to see, I don't know. It's just, it. the games I've been to, I feel like they're just getting so much looser and more lenient with what's a hit. And I'd like to see, maybe that's something that I would push for if I was in this, involved in the collective Mm -hmm. bargaining agreements. I'd be like, all right, we got, we got to find some, so we got to get some new scorekeepers that are really going to implement what is an error and what's a hit. I want it. I want experts. I want them to have to pass some kind of bar exam to be a scorekeeper. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, 
it's tough because you know exit or exit velocities are getting faster and faster every season. That's the whole thing. So, like back in the day, you'd have balls come at you at eighty miles an hour. Now you have them come in at one hundred and ten. I can see why it's a little more gray area if stuff's a hit or an error. If if a ball's coming at you that fast on a tricky hop, I don't know how you can legitimately say somebody should have got that. It's a good point. Good point. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. That's point. fine. That's what I do. I, I like to, <laughs> I flummox people. I like to, I like awkward silences on podcasts. <laughs> no, that is a good point. Uh, let's see. So right now, if the season ended today, because I mentioned it, the Cleveland guardians are now the American league central champions for the fourth time in seven years, which is really a, a pretty impressive stretch. I think anyone who, I don't think the Yankees have that many division titles over the last seven years. The Yankees have only won uh, in 2012, 2018, and 2019. I think those are actually, no, maybe not 2018. I know 2019, 2012, those are the only two that they've won over the past decade, and they're going to get another one here. And I know the AL Central is not as strong of a division as the American League East, but the Cleveland guardians are operating with one of the thinnest payrolls in baseball. Mm -hmm. And I'm just continually impressed with what this front office is doing year in and year out. And I kind of feel like we forgot about them because they had a really nice stretch from 2016 through 2018. And then again in 2020, I think they're pretty good in 2019 too. just missed the playoffs. Um, And this last year was really a down year. And I think a lot of us forgot about what the guardians are capable of, but uh, hats off to them. They win the division. Chicago White Sox greatly disappoint. They were the heavy favorites mm-hmm. coming into the year. Um, but the, the Guardians are going to be the number three seed in this new wild card American League playoffs in the new uh, MLB playoff format. And I guess I should ask you right now, Mario, you understand how the new playoff format works, correct? I didn't it before at the start of the season I didn't really understand but I've seen enough on Mariners Twitter that has explained it that basically the sixth seed plays Cleveland right yeah so right now the Mariners are the sixth seed yeah they would play if this if this stands which it might not because they're only a half game behind the Rays mm-hmm. but if it stands they're going to play three straight away games in Cleveland mm-hmm on three straight days. And a lot, I th- I'm, I'm saying this, you understand it. A lot of people who are listening yeah. have asked me, hey, how is this new playoff format? So top two teams get a bye, Astros, Yankees. Then the Guardians are your three seed. They're locked in right now because there's no way they're going to catch up. They don't have enough time to catch up to the Yankees. Um, and so those are your top two. And then the Guardians have a three seed. So they're actually penalized with this new playoff format for not having won the top two American League records. They're going to have to play in this best of three wildcard series. However, all three games will be at home. And then the four or five matchup between the top American League wildcard team and the number two American League wildcard team. For the first time ever, we have three wildcard teams in each league making the postseason. So that would mean Toronto and Tampa... Uh, They would play right now. Toronto would host that series. It's best of three and all three are in the high seeds ballpark. So that's how it works. Yeah. And I've seen Mariner fans kind of talking about this debating, which is the better draw. If you want the four seed or the six seed. 
because that seems to be the consensus. If you get the four seed, you have home field advantage against the five. If you get the six seed, you get the weakest team, Cleveland, but you have no home game. So there's been a lot of debate among Mariner fans, kind of Mariners, uh, the blogosphere, <laughs> whether you really would rather go into the playoff as the four or the six seed. Right. That's exactly how it goes. And I was actually going to ask you that. So let me flip that back over to you, Mario, and get your mm-hmm. thoughts. I personally would rather have the four seed just because, and I'm just pulling this out of my butt. I'm sure I'll get yelled at. <laughs> I think Seattle's better than Toronto. I think Seattle's better than the Rays. We uh, swept Toronto at home for a game series earlier in the season. And it, it wasn't honestly that close. Like Seattle, when they're at their peak, is a better team than Toronto, I think. So I would, I would personally, agree. yeah, I'd personally rather be the four seed, but the six seed against Cleveland is Cleveland is a team I know we can beat, but Cleveland is also the team that's closest to Seattle. And I remember this when we were playing them a couple of weeks ago, mm. all the people were pointing out, those are very similar teams, the way they're yeah. structured, the way they're designed. So even though they're the weakest team, they are the most similar to us. And it's, I'm not entirely sure that's a better matchup for us. So I'd personally rather have the four seed, just you get a game at home and you get either Toronto or Tampa Bay, personally. If I were the Mariners, this is a this is actually a really tough question because personally, I would not want to play Cleveland, Toronto. I, I mean, I would rather play Toronto or Tampa than I would play Cleveland right mm-hmm. now. Um, it, in general, if I'm any team, because Cleveland's won 16 of their last 18 if you take out the six, the seven games that the Mariners just ran through them in August to early September, they've been the best team in the American League over that two month mm-hmm. stretch. If you just take out those six games, um, and personally, that's so uh, I want to say that. Um, secondly, so I, I think they're heating up, and I also think they're just going to be an annoying team to play because. Mm-hmm they put the ball in play so much. They're going to put pressure on you to make mistakes and they're not going to beat themselves because they're a great defensive team. They have good pitching. And they, like I said, contact, put the ball in play. So they're going to put the pressure on you. Having said that, however, if I'm Seattle, I feel really good about playing Cleveland considering the success that the team has had over the last month. Mm -hmm. They, like we said, ran right through the guardians. Now the one would argue, would you rather be the team that's won six of seven in this particular instance or the team that maybe their now luck is going to go, their luck's going to turn because it's hard to keep beating up on the same team multiple times. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I do think that for whatever reason, the Mariners are just a really tough matchup for them. So having said that, if I were you, I would feel pretty confident about going into Cleveland. And honestly, I would much rather get that path and play the Yankees in in the ALDS than I would play the Astros. Yeah. it's Okay, here's my stance on this. And first off, we're talking as if Seattle is guaranteed to make the playoffs. And (laughs) have a four-game lead. I know. know. (laughs) Ten days left, for those who don't know. Yeah, four-game lead which is really a five game lead. Cause I think we hold the tiebreaker yeah, over the Orioles. Right. So it's, it's very, we'd very unlikely that Seattle not make the playoffs. However, <laughs> being a Seattle fan, I'm not going to sit here and, <laughs> and uh, you know, Bruce Ismay on the Titanic sit here and say, God himself could not sink this ship. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because technically we're not there yet. Statistically, we will probably make the playoffs. 
if I jinx us and we don't, please don't yell at me. <laughs> yeah. That being said, okay, this is not just a Mariners fan. I, I really do believe this. I'm not really a homer. I, I always think I have pretty good opinions on realistic on sports. When Seattle is at their peak, I think they can beat any team in the AL except maybe Houston. I think we're the second best team overall. Seattle just isn't at their peak right now, and we haven't been at our peak yeah. in a while. So it's really going to come down to if we kind of coalesce here and come back. Yeah. But there's one factor I think you're missing. Yeah, it would be great to beat Cleveland and then go through New York and have someone else deal with the Astros. I don't want to see the Astros. They're better than us. We just flat out admit it, whatever. But I would really love to see a home game in Seattle just because, again, the playoff streak, the fans have been wanting it. If we play Cleveland, there's no home game at all. I do think that would be a little, uh, what's the right word? Uh, a little bittersweet that you don't get to have them in front of the hometown crowd. So I would love to have four or five just for that reason, just so we could at least say we well, had a game. Well, five, five doesn't have a home game either. So they don't get have, any game, any game yeah. at home. Okay. So the four seed has the home game, the hosts the whole series. So that would mean they're now two and a half back of Toronto. They got to leap Toronto and Tampa mm-hmm. over the final 10 days, which seems that seems less likely to me than them moving it. I think they could very easily move into five, which mm-hmm. is Tampa. So I really think, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's off the table. They could definitely get that four seed, but I think most likely we're talking about. Would you rather have five or six? And either yeah. way, you're playing a road game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I'd personally rather have six. I'd, again, if Seattle's at its peak, I think we can catch Toronto. Seattle is really struggling right now. They're really scuffling. But they have Cal Raleigh hurt. They have a Eugenio Suarez out. They have Julio out. They're missing like 100 home runs out of their lineup right now. So I think it'd be very unlikely they're going to catch Toronto. So Let's just stay. We'll stay down in six, and that's probably what's going to happen. Just because there, there's really no indication Seattle is going to end this season on a strong streak until we get Julio and Suarez back. Well, you saying that makes me feel less uh, confident in the Mariners if they have to go to Cleveland in that particular case, because I do think Cleveland. If I'm just looking at this thing, if I'm let's say I'm the Baltimore Orioles and I'm trying to get it, scratch my way into the playoffs, and I'm ranking the teams that I least want to play. Mm-hmm. it's Houston and then it's Cleveland and Seattle at their best. I, I would yeah. play. I'd rather play those three teams than the Yankees. Honestly, I mean, sorry. Those are the teams I'd least want to play versus I'd rather play the Yankees than those teams. Cause I, the Yankees, I know they've won seven straight right now, but we've seen the the second half of their season. Mm-hmm. They're a very flawed team. And right now they're really being carried by their MVP, Aaron judge who another this is another take I had last week. I wrote that the Yankees should drop Judge in the lineup come postseason because right now they have him batting leadoff, and I get it because you want him to get as many opportunities to hit as many home runs as possible. But so what if it's a solo shot come postseason? I want mm-hmm. those home runs to count. I looked at his numbers. He's great with runners on base. It's not like he only hits them with nobody on. He's a really good hitter because there are a lot of guys who are not good with runners on base and are not clutch. He is clutch in the postseason. I want to put two, maybe three guys in front of him that get on base and then let those big shots count for more. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's uh, I mean, Seattle's doing the same thing with Julio. He's been hitting leadoff like 
I'm not entirely sure leadoff is the optimal place for him with all those people on base, but, but yeah, I agree with you. Seattle in its present form is not very scary, but we will have everybody back at the end of the season. That's kind of the reason why they're struggling right now. They're, they put Julio in the IL. They have Suarez on the IL there. Yeah. The pitchers are tired. They're giving him a short leash. They're yanking him. So I hope we have our full strength back for the playoffs. And if we do, I think we can beat Cleveland. If we are the way we are right now, 10 days before the end of the season, I don't know if we can beat anybody. Interesting. Well, Bob Nightingale was on last week and he mm-hmm. said that the team behind, he said, you know, he likes Houston. He likes the Yankees, but realistically, I don't think anyone has any confidence that the Yankees will beat Houston because they haven't. It's been, this has gone back since 2015 when they played in the wild card game. I mean, the Astros have just kicked their butts. Um, but he said, the team that he would be, he thinks is the the ultimate dark horse here that can, can he thinks has the potential to get hot and beat Houston and win the American League. He said is the Mariners. Yeah, and I would agree with that. It's because we have the pitching staff. We have the four. I mean, those are yeah. four potential aces when they're yeah. on the game. And that's the thing. If they all get hot at the same time, we don't even need that many runs. So yeah, yeah I mean, I. Again, this is a homer. I'm a, a little <laughs> legitimately a Mariners fan saying this, but I see no reason why Seattle couldn't be the AL champ if they all get hot at the same time, which they're not now. That doesn't mean they won't be in 10 days. And I would agree with you, by the mm-hmm. way. I, I do think that um, I think Seattle and I also think Cleveland, I think both those teams are dangerous. And they're t- the two teams that if I'm the other four teams in the playoffs, those are the two teams I least want to play right now. Aside from, I mean, Aside from the Astros, considering what we know mm-hmm. that the Astros are and they're having another remarkable season, you know, Lottie Da, it's great, but uh, great for them. But yeah, <laughs> um, I want to ask you something else about Bob mm-hmm. Nightingale and our conversation. So you had, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to misquote you. Mm-hmm. You had an opinion that Julio Rodriguez, this is the most exciting rookie that the Mariners have ever had. Is that the, is that the take? It is. Although let me qualify that. So Jack prompted me with a question. Yes, I did. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez is the most exciting Mariners rookie since blank. And so I had to think about this and I will go back in Mariners history. The big one, obviously, you know, Felix Hernandez was a big deal, but I don't think he quite had the buzz yet because Mariners were going through a down stretch where nobody cared. Ichiro, Huge deal. Won the MVP in his rookie won, year. Won the MVP and rookie of the year, pulled a Freddie Lynn in the, in 2001. <laughs> but you and I both agree he's kind of cheating because he's not really a rookie because he'd already played like seven years. Yeah, he was like, almost 30 at that point. It's not like he's a you know 21-year-old. Yeah, he's like about a five-time batting champion in Japan. It's not <laughs> quite the same. So like Ichiro was exciting. That that really lifted that 2001 Mariners team. So he's probably the most exciting rookie in Mariners history, but I'm putting an asterisk against him because it's kind of cheating. Yeah. Then you go back to Griffey. I think Griffey. I think we could qual we could um if we're trying to use the right language here, we could say like a an under 25 player. Yeah, okay, uh, sure. Yeah. That they in their rookie year, in their rookie year under the age of 25. Yeah, so we're going to go back to Griffey. Griffey is another one you're going to get a lot of answers for. And then there's one before that even, or two actually, Mark Langston back in, I think, 84, and Alvin Davis, who won Rookie of the Year in 84. 
And I guess you could go all the way back to Rupert Jones if you want to. He was our first big star back in the 70s. But it's really going to come down to Griffey versus Julio. I personally think Julio is more exciting as a rookie than Griffey. And I know I'll get some pushback on that, but I'll explain my reasoning. Is that Julio is having a better rookie year than Griffey did. By far, by the way. If you look at Griffey's oh, yeah. rookie year, it wasn't that great. Griffey's rookie year, I have it pulled up here. Uh, he slashed 264 batting average, 329 OBP, not good. And then his OPS was 748, 16 home runs, 16 stolen bases, but he's caught stealing seven times, 61 RBI. So he had a good year, obviously. He had a very, very good year, and there was a lot of hype on him, which mm -hmm. you remember at the time, but he did not win rookie of the year. In fact, he did not finish second. He finished third in American League rookie of the year. Who won? Was that Tom Gordon, if I recall? He finished second. You want another guess? Uh, 89. That was Griffey, Tom Gordon, and Greg Olson. Yeah, very good. That's right. All right, good. good. I'm glad. Still got my 80s baseball knowledge. <laughs> yeah, so Griffey, he had a candy bar. They put out a candy bar for him. He was the big star of the Mariners. But again, his rookie year was not fantastic. It ended or he missed a big chunk because he was goofing around in the shower and he slipped and he broke his, bo his bone in his hand. But yeah, he was exciting. It was a big deal when Griffey came. A lot of people say that was the day baseball arrived in Seattle. But the point has to be made. Julio is having a way better rookie year than Griffey did. And I'll say another thing. Julio is two years older. He's 21. Griffey was 19. Julio is already well known for being a leader. And this is something I don't know if people know outside of Seattle is that even before the season, they're like, this guy is special. They're like, Jared Kelnick is good. All these other guys are good. Julio is on a different level. He's so mature. He's so well-respected. People love him. There's already stories this year where a pitcher will give up a home run and Julio will come up and say, hey, don't worry, man, I'll pick you up in the next inning. And then Julio hits a home run to like tie the game. And that's a 21-year-old, you know, consoling a 35-year-old veteran. And there's a story earlier this season, they wanted to get rid of a coach. And Julio knows this coach is beloved. And so Julio went and talked to the coach, the pit, the managers and stuff and said, you know, this guy's really good. We really need to keep him. And this is a 21-year-old showing leadership that you don't normally see from a 21-year-old. And this is the point I got to point out. Griffey was never a leader. He never really had any leadership potential. In fact, I don't know if it's a cheap shot to bring this up, that he was known for being very fragile. And he was kind of like, he didn't want to piss him off. He, he was very emotional and stuff. And there's a story, you know, he tried to kill himself in the minors. He tried to commit suicide when he was in high school or in the minors. So like, there's a big difference I see in potential right now in Julio at 21 and Griffey at 19. And I think a lot of it of the Griffey stuff is rose colored glasses. Cause people remember he's hitting 50 home runs a couple years later, winning gold gloves, but that was not him as a rookie. Yeah. As a rookie, he's the son of Ken Griffey. Ken Griffey was a good player, a 300 hitter who hits like 15 homers. No one knew Griffey Jr. was going to hit 54 homers and be the face of every video game. So I well, actually don't... he was a he was a very high draft pick. He was. He was number one. Yeah. But again, so I mean, the, there was promise there. However, it didn't arrive until later. Exactly. So if the argument is who is the most exciting rookie, if you're looking at someone and say this guy's got potential, I don't think it's close. I think Julio has so much potential. He's bigger than Griffey. He's faster than Griffey. He's got a better personality. He's more of a leader. I mean, it's not a surprise the Mariners locked him up to a lifetime contract, basically. So 
to me, this isn't even close. And I think that people are, are who are arguing Griffey are kind of looking at it out of out of context or looking at stuff Griffey did later. Well, also, I think the other thing that people are thinking perhaps about is just the cultural impact. Mm-hmm. But again, that that wasn't there his rookie year. I mean, Griffey didn't he had a candy bar his rookie year, you said, right? Yes, but also there's one factor in that in that argument that that you're probably overlooking the baseball cards. Griffey's rookie card came out at the height of baseball card mania. Everybody loved his baseball card. So from a collector's point of view, Griffey was far more exciting than Julio. It's not even close. But also, also, I want to add to that. It was before the strike and it was before the steroid scandal. It was. Yeah, that's it. That is another two big things of why baseball is not culturally what it was 30 years ago. But I will say in 1989, I was there for the Mariners. I, I mean, I know this era super well. Griffey was there as a rookie. Randy Johnson was there as a rookie. Jay Buhner was there as a young player. Edgar Martinez. All these guys were good. My personal favorite of that era was Eric Hansen, who was a pitcher. Oh, I thought you were going to say A-Rod. No, A-Rod was later. He came later. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we got to talk about A-Rod in this rookie discussion, too. Well, okay, we'll come back to him in a second. Yes. Okay. I don't think like at the time, my favorite of those young rookies was Jay Buhner just because he'd hit these tape measure home runs. And like, this guy is unbelievable. He's like Dave Kingman. We're going to have these 500 foot homers for the rest of our (laughs) career. So like as exciting as Griffey was, he wasn't that much better than these other young rookies at the time either. He was just one of these, one of a young nucleus. Right. All right. Now move on to A-Rod because you you teased it. Yeah, I forgot about A-Rod because I had moved away from Seattle for a couple of years. So I wasn't living there during A-Rod's rookie year when he, what, hit 36 home runs and stole 50 bases. I'd have to pull that up. (laughs) Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, You know, A-Rod may be the answer here. And I hate to say that because I hate the guy. (laughs) but they loved a rod in seattle he was a shortstop it was coming when the mariners were really good it was a right at the peak oh man the answer may be a rod and i hate to say that you got to look at his rookie year he's a rod a rod his full now here's the here's the other thing you could say if Mm -hmm. you want to get even more technical to make it julio you could say in the year he was called up Mm-hmm. Because A Rod played 17 games in '94 and 48 in '95, he was a non-factor on that team mm. uh, in '95. But '96, which uh, let's see, did he win? No, he didn't win Rookie of the Year, so he could not have been a rookie. <laughs> the technicality. We're going <laughs> to screw A Rod on a technicality, which, as a Mariner fan, makes me incredibly happy. So yes, A Rod's rookie year was '95 when the Mariners won the playoffs, and he did jack crap. So I guess the answer has to be obvious. I will disagree with Bob Nightingale. I know he disagrees with me, but again, I think he's just looking at it wrong. I I don't know how it could be anybody but Julio. Very good, Mario. Yeah. So. We'll save the A-Rod. There's no reason to look into his uh, 96 year. He had a great year, by the way. So for those who want to look it up, you can look it up. But it's not relevant to this conversation. Okay, so A-Rod last night, he's got... I don't know how on earth this guy became someone who's on national baseball broadcasts every single week. Now, ESPN did, however... He used to be kind of the voice of Major League Baseball on ESPN the last four years or so. This year, they moved him into a different 
uh, studio role. So him and Michael Kay, who calls the uh, a lot of the Yankees games, their broadcasts, they do a separate broadcast. It's similar to the Peyton and Eli Monday Night Football broadcast where they just sit in a studio, they watch the game, and they talk to people, and they have guests on. So last night, they had the unholy trinity of Bonds, Clemens, and A-Rod on the same <laughs> broadcast together. What, they couldn't get Dave Kingman there? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Sosa and McGuire were going to show up, too. Yeah, Steve Carlton busy, Ty Cobb, they couldn't find him. <laughs> yeah so wait a minute wait you don't understand how a rod has a tv job you don't understand how someone who's handsome well-spoken and rich has a tv job <laughs> <laughs> very fair it's just funny because it's like so many of these guys have not been able to carve out something for themselves in the sport mm -hmm. uh based on th substances that they most likely uh <laughs> uh, dabbled in, I should say. Um, and in A-Rod's case, I mean, he got caught twice and lied about it. So it's just, to me, I don't really know why that guy, It's it goes beyond that too. It's the fact he, had, he did not have a good reputation as a good teammate, as a whatever. And I personally don't think he, I think there are other options of people who could call a better game. It, it seems like he's trying to memorize everything from his stat sheet whenever he's on. However, I will say Barry Bonds FaceTimed into this broadcast last night. And I don't, this is the first time I had watched the A-Rod broadcast since maybe the beginning of the season, but I wanted to hear Bonds and Bonds was fascinating. It was really interesting <laughs> hearing from Bonds. Uh, and he was asked about, you know, who's, who's got the home run record here. If judge passes Maris. And of course you can, you can expect what bonds might say in this instance, but it was a pretty fun interview. I'm not going to lie now. Okay. Jack and I have talked about this off the air that yeah. I'm a big Barry bonds fan and he doesn't understand why really, because I will say I understand. I, I, understand. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, a, I, I have a different view. I should say. Well, yeah, you've said you've never met many Barry Bonds fans. You said yes. it was odd. And I pointed That's out true. it's because I live on the West Coast and most of my in-laws are from San Jose and San Francisco. And they love that guy up there. Like they they have statues to him. He's he's amazing. They love him. And the rest of the country doesn't understand that. So that that's that will uh, gauge my uh, the context a little bit why I like Barry Bonds. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, I just read through the Game of Shadows book that dives deep into his career and a lot of stuff that he did off the field. And it wasn't just uh, in relation to performance enhancing drugs. There was a lot of other stuff that he did that uh, was pretty ugly. Mm -hmm. And the fans, it was interesting because I think this kind of happened in most places. And maybe it's reflective of what kind of areas people live in. But I'll give you it. So a lot of these guys got caught and then they were never embraced again, or at least well, I should say, I shouldn't say that they were never embraced again. They got booed. They had to wear it for a while. And in a lot of, like in the case of bonds, he was forgiven the, the giants fans. Cause they were upset with him at one point. Um, but you know, he's been embraced by the fans. And then similarly, Sammy Sosa has never fully been embraced here in Chicago. Now, granted, Sosa is a little bit of a weirder guy. Mm -hmm. um, he looks 
a little different these days. I don't know if you've seen any pictures of him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but he also used a cork bat. So maybe and things ended on a very sour note. He didn't finish with the Cubs. Bonds finished his career with the Giants. Um, he was not particularly well liked by his teammates is the word uh, towards the end of his time with the Cubs. So maybe and but maybe that's also reflective of Midwestern values versus um, Bay Area values or mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. But yeah, I do think that is interesting that he he is well liked out West now. And I know there was a time that his popularity took a hit, but he is well liked at this point. Yeah, and just one factor that I think may play into that. You mentioned the Midwestern values, but with Barry Bonds, okay, between Bonds and Sosa, Bonds is very good at describing, like in an interview, he can explain his thought process, why he does stuff, and Sosa doesn't have that. So Bonds already has an advantage. (laughs) But Bonds, I believe, it probably is going to come down to West Coast, East Coast bias a little bit. Mm. Just because Bonds always felt he was underappreciated in Pittsburgh. You know, he's like the best yeah. player in baseball. Griffey's getting all the attention. McGuire's getting all the attention. Why do these guys get the attention and I don't? And I know he would probably say it's because, I don't know, whatever. But right. so he, his argument, I would guess, was I bulked up just to show if I did what McGuire did, I could be as good as anybody. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, so he comes out West. He's the hero of the San Francisco Giants. And I think a lot of Giants fans or West Coast people in general are receptive to the argument that you don't get the credit you deserve because you're here on the West Coast because everything's East Coast based in the media. So I think they rallied around him like now he's Mm. one of ours. You guys will never accept him as the champion. You guys will never accept him as the greatest, but he's ours in San Francisco. And it's like you you almost have a chip on your shoulder on the West Coast because you never feel like you get the credit. Well, and I think the thing that was awesome about him in that regard was he did not care if the media came after him. And that's mm-hmm. something I miss about athletes these days. I think so many guys, and personally, I don't think baseball players care as much. I think they're kind of thicker skin. But I mean, look at some of these NBA players when Kevin Durant, for example, um, former supersonic, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he'll get upset if Joe Schmo tweets at him on on Twitter saying something and he'll block him and he'll mm-hmm. call him out and he'll, he'll be Mr. Tough guy. And it's like, dude, you're 6'10". Why do you care what this guy <laughs> who lives in his mom's basement has to say about you? Yeah. And Bonds was the antithesis to that, which we I feel like we need more of these guys in sports. He would say stuff just to get the media mad at him. Mm-hmm. And it would make him play better because he would use that as energy. Like we need guys like that in terms of mental toughness. So I'll give, I will give bonds that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go hang out with Barry bond. I doubt we'd be best (laughs) friends, but I do respect his thought process and I do respect his individuality. And like you said, I respect the fact that he just didn't give a rip. He just didn't play the game. (laughs) I'm going to go out there and be the best ever. And whether you guys acknowledge it or care or whatever, like he just didn't care. And again, it's it's he gets all the flack for taking steroids, but like I swear, like half of baseball was on steroids during that era. So like, why does he get the hit for it and nobody else does? Well, uh, the the prominent guys from that era have gotten a hit for it. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I would say you got to let them all in because you let Big Poppy into the Hall of Fame and he failed a PED yeah. test. So oh, he played in Boston. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, so that's that's neither here nor there. That's a conversation in terms yeah, of, of course. we'll have to have that around the MLB Hall of Fame voting. Um, but I mean, the thing for me is like, I mean, I also want to mention before we kind of talk about this judge thing is Bonds would have been in the Hall of Fame if he didn't use. I mean, he mm-hmm. did not start using until after the 98 season when he saw like you were talking about McGuire and Sosa, he saw those guys and his thought process was why do people care so much about the guys who hit the long ball? Because Mm -hmm. I can, I can steal bases. He, at one point he was a better defensive player. He wasn't uh, once he bulked up, Uh, but I think he won a couple gold gloves. He definitely did. Um, So he was more of like a, a Jack of all trades, five tool player, and then when he saw those guys, he he did get jealous and he said, well, I, I'm going to show them I'll do the same thing. If he had never done that, mm-hmm. his reputation, I mean, he, he would have had a similar reputation. He wasn't the easiest guy to get along with. That's something that stuck with him his whole life. And part of it was because of his relationship with his father and some of the ways he grew up that were not great. Um, but if he didn't, if he didn't use, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. But again, you did you did point out he was very disliked before that. But yes. I agree with his thought process. That's the thing. Like I probably wouldn't have taken steroids the way he did, but like I can see why he was pissed. And I remember this in the 90s. This was always a thing. Who's the best player in baseball? It was always Griffey or Bonds. And like I'm a Seattle fan, so I'm biased. Well, Griffey's the best player, but looking back at it now, it wasn't that close. Barry Bonds was by far the best player in baseball for a long time, well before steroids. And comparing him to someone like Sosa, so he was a great player before the steroids. Sosa probably was on him his whole career. I also think A-Rod was on him his whole career because he got caught in high school. (laughs) (laughs) He laughs. laughs. Mariner fans and A-Rod, we have a complicated relationship. (laughs) Okay, now having said all of that, I I do want to say Aaron Judge, he's going to hit two more home runs and... I will give him this distinction. Mm -hmm. I think his 62 home runs, especially in this era of baseball, when pitchers really dominate and you look at, look at how many, how many guys were hitting just a ton of home runs in the, in the nineties, in the two thousands. And obviously great for their era, but you know, he did cheat. Bonds Mm -hmm. did cheat judge, no linkage to PEDs. And, Right now, in a season when they've deadened the baseball, I am going to say, and if he wins the Triple Crown, this is the most impressive season from an offensive player in my lifetime, Mario. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a legitimate argument. Uh, you could also make the argument that nowadays it's a three-true outcome game where it's a home run, strikeout, or walk, basically. So people swing for the fences more. But I, I do agree with you, like, when you see great hitters hitting 270 now, like the guy, if a guy can hit three, whatever he's hitting, 310, 320, I forget. But yeah, like, 314. If you can win the triple crown in this era, that is 
that is ridiculously impressive. So yeah, I I would not take away that at all. But I also point back again, if you go back to Barry Bonds, the seasons he was walking 200 times in the season as an on-base <laughs> of like 600. Yeah, which, he had an on-base of 530, I think it was. Yeah, it's I'm unbelievable. Just, I, will, I will always say that is the most ridiculous offensive season in my lifetime. But again, you got to factor in the steroids. But yeah. yeah, there is no denying what Judge is doing this this year and I happen to think he's a cool guy. I've seen interviews with him. I like him. I've seen interviews of him, like throwing balls to kids in the stands. I love Aaron judge. I think he's a great guy. Uh, the Mariners fan in me wishes he was doing it in Seattle and not New York, <laughs> but that's the only, the only gripe I could have. He's having a great year. Aaron judge is every single kid's favorite player on a yeah. national level. And we need guys like that because I agree. he's like you said, he's so likable. He's a nice guy. He's humble. Um, but he's got a personality too. It's not like he, uh, I don't know, Mike Trout for whatever reason, maybe it's the <laughs> West coast thing. Like he just has not resonated with kids in the way that judge has. I think part of it is the guy's like six foot 10. He's gigantic. He could play basketball, you know, play in the NBA probably and dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my friends actually played college baseball with judge at Fresno state, Dan Delaney. Um, and he said, Judge is an outstanding guy. Whenever the Yankees come into town, he texts my buddy, invites him to come out to the game. And um, yeah, Judge is awesome. I've worked at a Christian school the last few years. Right now, I I'm not I haven't been in this school year because I'm doing this job now with SI, but I'll probably sub for fun once the season ends, because why not? I it's fun for me. Um when I talk to kids of all ages, but mostly I like to focus on elementary school kids what are they what do they like and the kids that like baseball if you ask them now obviously a couple years ago maybe they would have said chris bryant or javi baez or anthony rizzo if you ask them their favorite player the number one answer i get the most of is aaron judge and Mm -hmm. it's not at this point it doesn't even surprise me i had this one kid who came into kindergarten one time and i was trying to I was a sob and he was a little freaked out because his normal teacher wasn't there. He's a little anxious. So I was trying to talk to him and break bread and make friends. And so I asked him if he likes sports. He told me he loved baseball. I'm like, who's your favorite player, Aaron Judge? And he just like smiled and like he was crying. And all of a sudden he smiles and his face lights up and starts nodding his head. That's Aaron Judge, man. Well, okay. I, yeah, I got nothing against Aaron Judge. He seems amazing. But do you think he would that's have that same effect if he didn't play for the Yankees? Like, imagine he plays for Kansas City or like Colorado. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if he's having this season, we would really take, I mean, you know, for as big as Judge is physically and figuratively, he, this isn't being made as big of a deal as 1998 was. And Times are different. Baseball, again, was I, I this is why it's hard for me to embrace Bonds. It's hard for me to embrace Sosa and McGuire because it ended up doing a lot of damage to the game and the trust of the fans. Um, once these guys got caught, um, mm-hmm. we're living in an era now, 25 years later, baseball is still a big deal. And some people are going to say that because it's not as big of a deal as it once was, it's no longer a big deal. Um, this is not as big of a story, even though he plays for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he's having this year, like Mario, I would be writing about him if he played for Colorado. I'd be writing for him in Kansas City yeah, or Miami. I know you would. I know you would. But would the kids all love him? <sighs> I think so. I mean, I think if he's having again, I think if he's having this season, anybody mm-hmm. has this season. 
um, and is a generally likable guy. I mean, Julio, maybe he has a season like this and the mm-hmm. kids, kids take to it. Um, now, I do think that the Yankees thing definitely plays a factor, especially before this year. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll say that. Yeah. And again, I got nothing bad to say about Judge. I just wanted to throw that out there. And it's funny because I'm on the West Coast. And on the West Coast, there's only two players I would go out of my way to see. Shohei Otani and Julio Rodriguez. Those are the only two. If they're around, I will go watch a game. So it's like Judge is almost an afterthought to me just because I'm on the West Coast. Like Otani, to me, that's Otani. Yeah, and I, I would say that's, again, another thing I want to bring up. Last year, what Otani did, one could argue, was the best single season any player has ever had. And now you could argue that we're seeing the best offensive season that a player has ever had, at least in the in the modern era, in mm-hmm. this current era. And to have those two guys go back-to-back, um, and now they're both going to hit free agency in the next couple of years and get paid <laughs> a lot of money, uh, but I think that I think it's great for the sport and they're two really likable, good guys that mm-hmm. you can market the sport around. And I think I if I'm thinking about that, too, it, who are the big two right now? I, I'd say it's those two for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see the MVP vote at the end of the season, because oh. I have thoughts on it. You have thoughts, but we don't. <laughs> so we are don't, you, we don't are vote, you right? Connie for the MVP? Well, it's it's tough to say, like if Judge wins the triple crown and leads his team to the playoffs. I don't know how you could not say that. But at the same time, Otani has done something nobody has ever done in history. So it's like, I, I don't even know. Like it's You could make the case for both of them. And I don't want to be West Coast biased and say Otani just because I'm on the West Coast. So I don't know. And I don't have a vote. So I don't have to, I don't have to weigh in here, really. <laughs> do, do you vote on this now? Consider, not yet. Right not okay. yet. I'll get there at some point. But um, Who would, would you vote, vote for? I would vote Judge. Uh-huh. Uh, I... I think that Otani's season last year was more remarkable. And it's not like I'm penalizing him for what he's doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also do think I like to factor in some amount of team success to a degree. If it's a, if it's a, if it, if the race is, you know, neck and neck, I'm going to side with a guy whose team won. And I really do think say what you want to about the Yankees, but, if you take judge off this team, they're not winning the division. I mean, yeah. he has been a one man wrecking crew. I think that team is over overperformed in the first half. Um, it's come back down in the second half. And like now, especially when they just keep batting him leading off lead off and he just keeps, you know, hitting these solo home runs. There was a game a couple weeks ago where he tied the game twice against the <laughs> Red Sox with solo home runs, like in back to back innings. It's just, I think this is one of the historic seasons. And again, the one, the thing I want to just add to why I think Judge's performance is so um, noteworthy and why it's such a huge deal is if you, you know, you make the point about one, uh, three true outcomes, which I agree with. However, the league is trying to work against that. They mm-hmm. deadened the baseball a couple years ago. They had the the opposite where they wanted these big home runs. Uh, and that's when Stanton hit 59. And now you look at, it's like, that was home run inflation. Uh, with that would probably be what, like 42 home runs in a regular season. Maybe not that number is no way to quantify it. They've taken steps and they're continuing to take steps to make it harder to hit home runs so that the guys who are the true big time sluggers become more valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, because like you're having guys like Scooter Jeanette and I love Scooter Jeanette. I think he hit 30, maybe 35 home runs 
with the Reds in 2017. Um, and then in addition to that, in terms of what's being asked of pitchers right now, when we fell in love with the sport, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're from different generations, but mm-hmm. when I grew up, you wanted your starting pitcher to go eight innings. At least you, you want him to pitch deep into the game. Maybe he gives you nine, but you want him going into the eighth inning. And now the expectation is just go two, three, uh, two times through the lineup. So you're getting more va- max velocity. Less is being asked of pitchers right now. Um, and the pitching has just been so much more dominant than hitting has in recent years. So when I see a guy do what judge has done and put up the kind of numbers that we haven't seen since 1961. Um, and I mean, I think, I think judges, I mean, Maris didn't win the triple crown that year. And I, I would just, again, I wasn't around, mm-hmm. but I think that the pitching that judge is facing right now, is more difficult to hit than Maris was facing in 1961. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's 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 just going to be tough. It's one of those things. I think Judge is going to win pretty easily this year, the MVP, just for the all the reasons you said. Their Yankees are in contention and the Angels are not. I imagine in 30 years, someone will look back and say, how could Otani have not at least won co-MVP that year? Mm. Just because yeah. nobody has ever done what he has done, and he's having a better year than last year when he won MVP. So it's like it's it's I, I I wonder how this is gonna look in history. And like if there's ever been a season where a co-MVP was warranted, I think this would be the one. All right. So Otani last year compared to this year. Higher pit- batting average. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, his pitching is so much better this year. He's doing way more innings, if I recall. Okay, let's look at the pitching. Uh yeah. Wow. I am actually impressed. I'm, I'm, you caught me a little bit here because I think we've been so enamored. This is a really good point, Mario, because I, for one, have been so taken by this home run race. And mm-hmm. the, unfortunately, the Angels have been a non factor since June, since mm-hmm. they fired their manager. So, um, and the Mariners basically ended their season with that whole dust up situation which is mm-hmm. a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, another great john boy video but yeah so otani this year 247 era in more innings 153 innings last year 318 through 130 innings pitched and then batting he has 12 less home runs so his ops is down 70 points his obp is down 15 points but he still has 34 home runs 93 rbi uh ooh, he's not a good base stealer that's interesting not that it matters but yeah it's weird he's really fast i don't know why he's not a better base stealer yeah he's got 11 stolen bases he's been caught stealing nine times and then huh. slash line 271 357 887 so yes he would be my MVP if we weren't seeing this judgy yeah. and historic season. So I think, I think that's probably a good piece I should write. Mario is uh, we're overlooking another historically great season from Otani. <laughs> and you could quibble with which season you prefer last year or this year. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, he, this would be an MVP season if it weren't for what judge is doing right now. See, and I would point out already, this is a little bit of a East coast, West coast bias because I read West coast, Twitter. All I see is people saying how Otani's clearly the MVP. Mm. 
So you're saying, oh, we're kind of overlooking him. The people that I read are not overlooking him. The people that I read are completely saying, how could you not give this guy MVP? Nobody has ever done this ever. I've heard some consideration. Uh, now, MLB Network, which is my favorite source for baseball news and conversation, um, in the early part of the day, they have some really great shows on there. They are based out of Secaucus, New Jersey. So let's say that. Um, I'm in the Midwest, so I feel like I might get a little more of both sides, but definitely more East than West. Part, yeah. of, part of the problem, it's the same thing with like the USC football or some of the basketball teams. If you're a college sports fan, this happens sometimes with the West Coast teams. They get less votes in the polls. And the biggest problem is the, the games are on too late. So people just don't get to see it. So yeah, that, I, that's the thing. I was going to say, I never noticed the reality of that before until I traveled to the East Coast and I was trying to watch Mariners games. Yeah. And I'm like, God, this starts at 1030. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So I, I get the reality of that. I'm just saying Otani is doing something we may never see in our lifetime again. But so is Judge. It's yeah. like I said, it's, it would be historically when people look back at this year. I think it'll look really silly if the vote isn't at least close. I think it might be a little close. I don't think it's going to be unanimous. Mm -hmm. I that's the other thing I want to say is it annoys me when I hear members of the media saying like, Oh, this needs to be unanimous because <laughs> one it's peer pressure. It's trying to uh, group think these things when I'm more like you, Mario independent free thinker. Don't mm -hmm. want you to tell me how I'm supposed to vote in any capacity, politics, yeah sports, whatever. I, I want to, you know, I want people to be original and not succumb to group think. So I hate that. And number two, to me, like with the hall of fame, someone got mad that Jeter didn't get the unanimous vote to me. I don't care if a guy's unanimous or not. You're either a hall of famer or you're not. That doesn't matter to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Babe Ruth didn't get unanimous. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky Henderson, of all people, didn't get unanimous. I'm sorry. If the all-time leading base stealer and run scorer by like 30% higher than anybody <laughs> else, if he's not unanimous, how is anybody unanimous? I mean, it really doesn't matter. Mario, we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up. I'm going to give you a little trivia here. So the team with the longest postseason drought, Seattle Mariners. Yeah, I know that one. Like, yes. <laughs> Who's second? Uh, I think I read it was the Phillies the other day, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. 2011. Uh, Kyle Kendrick was a member of that team. Mm. I give him a shout out. Uh, we're going to have him on at some point here down the stretch. So looking forward to talking to him. Um, Stephanie's husband, for those mm -hmm. who are the Survivor fans. And then do you know who's third? Uh, at least give me a hint which league it's in. American League. American League. Who has not been in the playoffs for a while? Do you want the year? I'll give you the year if you need the year. Uh, uh, you can, but it probably won't help. 2014. Let's see. Who's a team I don't see? I know it's not the Royals because they've won some World Series. Uh, I don't think it's the Twins. No, they've I, been in. Yeah, we haven't seen the Tigers in a while, I don't think. So let but, me check. Wait, and wait, make I, sure. I'm going to say it's, well, it's either the Rangers or the Tigers, and I don't know which one. No, it's not the Rangers, and it's the Tigers uh actually are tied so there are two teams i my bad two american league teams tigers are one very good second so one is and it's also an american league team american league team out west oh angels yes good thank <laughs> god 
<laughs> I'm so happy that if the Mariners and Phillies make the playoffs this year, I'm going to make some enemies, but I'm a Mariners fan. That's what I do. <laughs> I'll be so happy to hand that title over to the Angels and not have to hear it ever again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I just cannot believe that you have these two transcendental all-time great talents on the same team. Mm-hmm. And look, I know it's not it's not the NBA, it's not the NFL either where you, if you have a great quarterback, you can really raise the level of competition. Two guys cannot do that. So this is not an indictment on either Trout or Otani. Mm-hmm. It's an indictment on the Angels front office for the last decade. How can you not put a little more around them to get these guys into the postseason? Because Otani is going to hit free agency after next season, Mm -hmm. which he's going to get a lot of money, by the way. Um, And then Trout signed that contract to stay there. Trout's only played in the postseason once. And Otani is uh, he's he hasn't been there yet. It's 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 a shame. It's crazy because every time I go, I live right by Angel Stadium. So I always go to when the Mariners play down here. And it's crazy because Trout and Otani kill us every single game. I have (laughs) never seen two better players in person. I have no idea how the Angels don't win 120 games. It's ridiculous. It's And it's funny. It's particularly uh, fulfilling for a Mariners fan because 10 years ago, they, or whatever, they got rid of their GM, Jerry DePoto, and they blamed all their troubles on him. Now (laughs) Seattle's GM, who is going to rub it in their face. So I'm sure he's rather happy about that. I'm sure he is. The angels are like so weird because you want to see them if they come into town because you mm-hmm. want to see those guys play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to a game a couple years ago and trout exited the game. Uh, I think I went, a, I went a Sunday game. He exited the Friday game and they didn't play the rest of the series. And I was just like, why am I here? Yeah. I, why do I want to see this team? Otani was out at that point. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got this one guy, Ren Hifo right now who like kills the Mariners. I think he has like, 13 homers on the season and nine are against Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's like, I kind of like the angels. I mean, they're, they're technically my local team based on where I live and I wish they'd be a little better, but I uh, will freely admit I'll be perfectly happy to see Seattle make the playoffs and them not. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mario. I know uh, both of us got to run. So is there anything else on your mind, on your heart baseball wise that you want to get off your chest? before you yeah. leave the trust tree. Yeah, I got to say one thing. You you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, it's uh, DePoto has less pressure on him in Seattle because it's not quite the win now mentality as you'd get in Boston or Chicago or New York. Yeah. I'm starting to see that change online and it started, it's a little unnerving to me. It's, uh, I've noticed Mariners Twitter this season in particular is so angry. Anytime the Mariners lose or they blow a game, I mean, it's just people fire DePoto, fire service. This team sucks. They'll never make it. They're terrible. Like, you know, we're four games up with 10 to play. Like, (laughs) they're so angry and so reactionary. And you can say, you know, part of that's just Twitter. That's just the ridiculousness of idiots on Twitter. But I'm starting to see a little of that creep into Seattle sports talk radio. Like, people think the Mariners owe them a playoff spot. And if they don't, they could take it very personally and they scream. And it's like, that's not historically what I see from Mariners fans. And I'm not necessarily sure I like it. I don't like that either. I mean, Mm -hmm. it happened with the Cubs too, because it was like, all right, Cubs were terrible for so long. They win a world series. Give a little grace. I mean, you can be a little frustrated, but it's just like, you know what? I think you touched on something interesting. And my point would be if you're a big corporation or if you're, 
if you're in radio, podcasting, whatever. I would just love to see people stop being influenced so heavily by Twitter because mm-hmm. it's such a small percentage of people that have the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. And that's something, I mean, I've had people say whatever they want to me, uh, especially when I'm covering the Cubs here in Chicago. And then I talk to, and like, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous and none of it, it's nonsensical. I'm like, do these people even like baseball? Do they understand mm-hmm. how baseball works? Maybe they're bandwagon fans who are hopping on. I think that's part of it too. But if I actually talk to people in person, I'm like, oh yeah, they're th- most of the fan base gets it. Most of the fan mm-hmm. base is smart. Most of the fan base is patient. And I think that's just kind of reflective of social media and really everything, sadly. That's my thought mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, it's I just I mean, you and I have talked about this off the air. We could talk about this for hours. <laughs> we hate social media. I just don't like it. I I don't like how reactionary it is. I don't like how angry it is. I'm just not an angry person. I like baseball because it's fun. If the Mariners are having a good year, I'm having a good time. If they're not, well, move on to do something else. I'll go watch movies or something. But yeah, I really don't like how the Mariners blogosphere and Twitter always feel like they're the voice of all fans because they're really not. So I just wanted to point out that it's we are going to probably make the playoffs this year. I don't want to jinx it, but we probably will. (laughs) And a lot of people will. It'll be like, wow, thank God the Mariners finally gave me that gift. And I'm almost like, F you. Like, dude, it's just a sport. (laughs) Chill out. So I just wanted to point that out that I don't like seeing the anger and the negativity sneak in. And that normally doesn't happen because Seattle is never relevant this time of year. But I'm starting to see it, and I really don't like it. So I would advise people to go outside, take a chill pill. Just (laughs) It's just a sport. It has nothing to do with you. Enjoy it or don't. I think a lot of people who... Like Mario's use of social media is he likes to post funny things like Mm -hmm. he just likes to joke and, you know, make jokes. And then mine is kind of more just kind of giving people some information about sports. But also I like to crack jokes or I like to post positive stuff just to to be a positive presence on social media. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people like us, though, and part of it is because, you know, I have a show and I'm on at Sports Illustrated's website. So I have an incentive to want to add to the conversation on social media. If you work in an office and you don't create content, you don't put out stuff, like my my thought would be, I, I just want to delete these apps. I don't want to be on them at all. So I mm-hmm. think what's happening is a lot of people who are similar to us, who are just more rational and also just maybe more positive in general, more fun-loving, uh, they're abandoning these platforms. So I think that's why it feels mm. like such a cesspool of negativity. Yeah, I agree. I, I see no, there's no positive to Twitter other than like late breaking baseball news and stuff yeah. like that, up to date scores. Which, that's why I stay on Twitter because I can, okay, what's up with the Mariners game? I go check the Mariners beat writers. But yeah, I, I think you make a good point. A lot of the sane people abandon those things. So what you just get left with is just the negativity. And I, I do not like negativity in the world. That's kind of my thing. I, I will not talk about things if I have to be negative about them. I just don't. So I'm excited to be on this podcast just because the Mariners <laughs> are having a good year. And hey, it might this might be the year that my dying grandfather back in 94 would have loved to see. This might be mm. the year that Dave Niehaus, you know, yeah. sweated all those years as a broadcaster, just as a last place team, just hoping that one year he gets to talk about a winner. So I'm excited for, you know, Rick Riz, the Mariners announcer has been there forever. I'm excited for these fans, the older fans. So I just think it's a cool thing for our area that we haven't seen before. Absolutely. And my last 
thing I want to add on that. Stop catering to Twitter and what people on Twitter want to say, because you can't win with them. And mm-hmm. once once you start caving, they control you. They can get whatever they want out of you. Um, and you just have to say no and be original and be yourself. That's that's the main thing. And that's the kind of content that I like to consume, Mario. And mm-hmm. that's why I've really taken to your content over the years and probably why you and I get along so well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always an honor to be on your show. And I'm very uh, happy for the success you've had and uh, Thank you. keep up the good work. Absolutely. Well, Mario, I want to give you a chance to plug uh, your social media after all this. Talk. <laughs> I'll get people find you on social media, but also uh, what projects are you putting out that people should be taking notice of? Okay, so for years, I have written a website about the TV show Survivor called The Funny 115, which is funny115.com. And it's just the uh, funniest moments of all time. I highlight them. I highlight little editing jokes and stuff. I don't really work on that website as much anymore just because I've literally lost interest in the show. I don't really... That's kind of my thing. I only write about stuff if I believe in it. And I don't really... I think Survivor is kind of well past its glory years. So... (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't write much about the funny 115 anymore, but I do have like 350 essays still up there going back almost 20 years. So if you want to check it out, it's probably the most popular survivor countdown ever on the internet. I've had like 5 million downloads over the years. It's ridiculous how many people read it and just the amount of input I've had over the show. It's kind of funny over the years, but I'm kind of past that these days. So these days I mostly do movie podcasts. And my whole thing is, as I said, I like talking about things that I enjoy, not things I don't enjoy. So I have a podcast called Movies That Deserve More Love, which is why I try to stick up for these little underrated movies. Staff Picks, yeah. So staffpicks.podbean.com. This is my movie podcast on underrated movies that deserve more love. And right now I'm about to put out a horror month where I do nine October episodes of horror movies that I feel deserve a little more love in the world. And it's just me and a friend just talking about a movie and explaining why this movie is probably better than it ever got credit for and why people should love it. So I uh, very much look forward to that. And then I do have an episode with Jack, and, as I said. Yeah, stick around. It might come out in the next five years. <laughs> yeah, we up, we recorded an episode on Moneyball a while back, and I'll probably be doing that after. It'll be the first episode after Horror Month on Staff Picks. Right around the time of the World Series, probably, because yes. we're going into November this year for the World Series again. Exactly, so. yeah. Yeah, Seattle's going to go. We'll be playing all year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I should point out, I also have a book on the early years of Survivor called When It Was Worth Playing For, and you can get that through Amazon. Very well re- received book very funny at uh, oh yeah time it's, capsule of what it was like to be a survivor fan back in the early days my favorite book to read when i'm laying in the sun at the beach in the summertime it's great and also you know one thing i, I will say mario is i've gotten a lot of feedback from when you've come on the show and you know we have a, a a different audience than you do for some of the work you do because this is more geared towards sports obviously we do touch on some other stuff as well we talk about a little reality tv and some of the other passions that you and I both have. However, um, most of the people don't watch Survivor who listen to this. And you've actually become, I've gotten several notes from people who say, I love when that Mario guy comes on your podcast and Hmm. uh, talks some baseball. And actually, you have made some people interested in wanting to know a little bit more about why Survivor was impactful at that time (laughs) and why, you know, why it's something that, is a big deal to your life. So if you guys are in that boat, go ahead and order that book and, you know, get a Paramount plus subscription. You guys can get it on my website, jackvita.com slash 
Paramount and you'll get a free one week trial. Um, and you can watch the early seasons all on there. Um, but yeah, so you guys should all check out his book. It's great. I should also point out, I have a podcast called the survivor historians, yes. which is exactly for fans like that. Cause we walk through every single season of survivor, explain what you need to know, why it was important and how it was received at the time. So if you really want to get into this, I have put out all this material sitting there just waiting for you. Very good. And you're on Twitter too, by the way, even though you hate Twitter. Yeah, at Mario J. Lanza. I don't really tweet much. I'll just post funny stuff or stuff about yeah. my projects. I never engage with anybody. If people pick fights with me, I just laugh at them. I just, I don't really, <laughs> I don't participate in Twitter. I just don't. Just, I'd like it if you post during the Mariners playoff games. That would be fun. <laughs> if you're like live tweeting the games, that would be enjoyable for me. All right, I'll try to do that. <laughs> All right, I gotta right. go, Jack. I gotta Mario, go thank you yeah. so much. Yep, thank you. That was a, That was a lot of fun. All right, folks, that concludes today's edition of the Jack Vita Show. We will be back again next week for more baseball conversations and analysis with another fun guest. So make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and log on to my website, jackvita.com, for more content. In addition to that, I'm also writing over at Fastball. So just Google SI Fastball. You'll see that I'm writing 40-plus stories a week of baseball content. Uh, we're going to have some more great content coming out. I'm excited. We're only a little bit of a week, a little over a week away from the postseason. So we're hopefully going to have some more baseball guests on uh, people who are involved and work in the sport of baseball, hopefully some former players and friends of the program as well. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys are all subscribing to the Jack Vita Show on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Hit subscribe, and until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance of the lobsters. <laughs>